and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts, Greg Eden. Hi, Anna. Hi, Fido. Oh, for God's sake. And Peter McKenzie. Hi, Anna. Hi, Peter. As usually, as usual, we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. Coming up on today's show, Greg tells us why Mozilla's been talking to Congress. Peter talks about the Sophos Threat Report 2020. And I'll be covering Airbnb and how they're dealing with scammers. Mark's not here this week, so uh, Mark's Thought of the Week is now passed to Peter's Thought of the Week, and you're going to be talking about ransomware and the latest. Yeah, what a surprise, ransomware. Um, So not really a Thought for the Week, more just an update for the week. So there's been two quite large attacks um, over the last few days, one affecting an MSP. We've covered MSP attacks before. They are definitely increasing. So there's a company called SmarterASP.net. They're an ASP.net hosting company. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. How do they think of that name? They were smart. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they've been hit by a ransomware called Snatch, um, and... They have roughly 440,000 customers. Uh, We don't know how many have been affected, but obviously their servers have been encrypted. Their servers contain their customers' data. So some of their websites are down, some of their data's gone. So you've got all these, however many customers affected, now contacting their MSPs saying, what are you going to do about it? So like we've touched on before, this puts MSPs in a very difficult situation Mm -hmm. where Arguably, it was it was their fault. You know, they're the ones that got breached, but it's not their data. And if they can't restore from backup, they're pretty much forced into a position where they have to pay, mm. which is a nice little trick for the attacker. Who's going to be yeah. paying? Is it going to be MSP? They're going to be passing that cost on to their customers? Well, cyber insurance, most likely, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then passed on to their customers after that. And then the other ransomware we've seen come back into the news is Megacortex. So this is one that was sort of first discovered... Uh, Well, earlier this year, I think around May, we um, published some papers on it. And they do pretty much the most devastating ransomware attacks that we've seen. Um, We class them as high-impact ransomware. They target all your servers, all your endpoints, all at once. We've seen them encrypting thousands of machines in a matter of a few hours. Mm. Uh, It's the type of attack where the attackers have gained access to the network, they've gained domain admin credentials, they've planned the attack, they've wiped out your backups, they've tried to disable the antivirus as well, and then they launch these hugely devastating attacks. And now they've got even worse, because as well as encrypting your data, they also change the password of the user on that machine. So when a user tries to log in, it fails. They're taken to a uh, one of the like legal notices you can get uh, your log on screen that says you are a victim of ransomware. <laughs> you know you need to email these people yeah. to arrange payments. So it's another another problem that the IT staff have to solve. An interesting twist in uh, you know how these ransomware groups can you know put you into a chaotic situation where you have no choice but to pay. It's devastating. These are the, are these are the same guys that were doing um, like Christmas time attacks. Like they were actually launching attacks in on holidays, oh, yeah. on weekends, you know, times when the new admins wouldn't be there to respond or Well, they, I don't know about Christmas, but Omega Cortex came around early in the year, um, although the rumors are and they're pretty strong rumors that um, the people that did Mega Cortex are all the so the people behind Locker Goga oh, ransomware. Right. So they've been around a while and they definitely, you know, target when the admins aren't ready basically mm. so yeah gosh thanks peter That's you nice. can come back and do one next week if you like oh thank you <laughs> can, I, can i recommend like we get a segment in between where we maybe have a puppy and then we can just feel a little bit better after that oh, <laughs> very negative story yeah. although for me it's it would sad. have to be that, a cat it is, or a cat mm. uh, 
Mm. Let's not have this debate. No. no. Yeah. Because we will stop being friends. It is sad, though. Devastates businesses. I mean, you deal mm. with that. Devastating honestly. businesses. Yeah. And when it attacks hospitals as well, mm. that's, a, you know, a real impact. I've spoken to victims where they said, well, we've got people coming in for the results of their cancer scans and stuff. And they're gone. We can't give them. They're going to have yeah. to do it again. You know, and, it's a real impact. And people will blame IT. They will blame the IT admins, even though this is an incredibly capable actor that's doing very nasty attacks and clearly is way above your typical attacker. But if you're an IT guy who just happens to... Sorry, I say guy. I mean guy or girl. But if an IT person that gets compromised this way, everyone's going to be pointing the finger of blame at you for making some kind of mistake. And it's really hard where it's like, this is almost nation-state level, you know, quality yeah, this of attacks. Is incredibly sophisticated. It is, over the last few years, the whole ransomware is a service as well as all these other things you know access as a service it has got a lot easier for far greater amounts of people to do this type of stuff Greg, this whole DNS over HTTPS seems to be getting a bit political. Do you want to take us through the story? It is. We have talked about this in the past on the on the Naked Security podcast, but this is uh, this is it is heating up, and mm. I think it's certainly something we should we should keep discussing because it is about the fundamentals of how the internet works. So yes, uh, Mozilla uh, have basically come out and said that ISPs are lying to Congress about encrypted DNS. Um, so DNS over HTTPS, it's continued to rile up a lot of heated debate uh, in the past weeks uh, among security professionals. Internet service providers, internet companies, but now also legislators. So on November 4th, Mozilla posted a public letter um, addressed to the United States Congress, and it urged them to just take the um, to take the lobbying that's being done by the broadband industry uh, w- against things like encrypted DNS and take that with a pinch of salt. Um, this comes in light of Mozilla announcing, I think it was back in September, when they're going to turn um, they're going to be turning on DNS over he- HTTPS by default for all their Firefox users in the United States, and that's going to be using Cloudflare's DNS servers for this feature. And then days later, actually, even Google have also said they're now investigating DNS over HTTPS, and they plan to be really it too. So yeah, um, I guess we should... Yeah, what is DNS over HTTPS? So yeah, it's probably a good point. Let's let's <laughs> let's go to the, the fundamentals. So let's start at DNS actually, because I think we say things like DNS IP address, maybe let's mm. just re- let's explain what they are. So DNS, the domain name system, it's effectively the internet's phone book. It converts human uh, human readable URLs in like nakedsecurity.sophos.com and converts that into an IP address like 1.2.3.4. So it's effectively effectively converting URLs into the computer's telephone numbers. Yeah. And every time you type in a URL, you're making a request to a DNS provider to tell you what's the IP address for this URL. So DNS over HTTPS, it's a new technology that makes these translations of URLs into IP addresses over an encrypted secure connection. So why do we need DNS over HTTPS? I'll lean on uh, Mozilla's letter here. They basically point out loads of instances where ISPs have abused their power being the first hop on our journeys across the internet. And the fact is, the DNS provider that we use is typically the one that's set on the internet router that we're currently connected to, you know, the Wi-Fi access point or whatever. That's that's usually where the mm. DNS provider setting comes from that then we send all our DNS requests to. So this means if you're like at a, a coffee shop, you're using the DNS service of whatever the ISP is at that coffee shop. And and they're going to be converting your URLs into IP addresses. So as you're hopping from like network to network, from your house to your friend's house, you're potentially making these lookups to loads of different companies, telling them what you're trying to access and, to, and asking them to tell you what the IP address is. You know, you're saying, hey, I have this URL. What's its IP address? Um, so this makes DNS this really, really leaky technology. It means that, you know, um, all this information about you is visible on any network. If you're looking up a URL, anyone who's on the network can 
skim your DNS traffic and see what are you trying to browse? What website are you trying to access? And by DNS being controlled at the network level by your internet routers and so on, this means that you actually never know if the network you're connecting to might be doing something questionable with mm. your DNS traffic. So yeah, Mozilla's letter po- points out to Congress a load of instances where American ISPs have abused this power of gatekeeping access to the internet and, and DNS. So there's been instances where DNS traffic's been tampered with. So instead of replying with like the correct IP address for whatever you're looking up, um, they can give you a, a totally different IP address that's not for what you're trying to access. And they use this to block websites, to track users, to serve out adverts, and they even sell your data. Or there's been instances where they've extorted users to pay a premium uh, to opt out of this kind of traffic manipulation. So if ISPs are saying it's a bad thing, surely it's a good thing. Well, yeah, it, it kind of exactly. Yeah. Um, so the one problem is that there's a lot of misinformation being thrown around there. Um, and actually, even on the DNS over HTTPS camp, there's some misinformation being shared around there as well. Because DNS over HTTPS, encrypted DNS, it's not a panacea. It doesn't make your web browsing magically invisible to your ISP. What it does in, uh, what it does do is it just ensures that whatever network you're on, mm. you're always making a secure connection back to your DNS provider of choice, and you're always using them, regardless of what network you're on, to translate URLs into IP addresses. So it means that it's controlled. You, you're always doing it with who you trust. It's not being manipulated. People can't you know, manipulate your DNS results for financial gain. They can't inject adverts into it. They can't degrade your service or do selective blocking. And they can't even reply with like bogus responses and translate it into the wrong IP address. So it has a lot of benefits. Um, and it doesn't stop ISPs from surveilling people. That's, that's I think, where a lot of this misinformation is coming from. Um, what it means is, okay, the, I, the ISP... A lot of the tech works by taking um, DNS requests, which convert URLs into IPs, and that means they can do all their filtering and monitoring on the URLs you're looking up. So if you're looking up evilwebsite.com, then they know that you were trying to browse evilwebsite.com. If they just see that you're trying to access 1.2.3.4, some address, mm. they'd have to go and do some extra work to reverse lookup to right, convert yeah. the number back into a URL. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, a lot of their tech and infrastructure is probably built on this assumption that they control DNS. And but based on all this abuse and manipulation, it's now driving people to want need to secure it now because you know you can't have nice things if you you know if you do these kind of things and 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 so yeah it it seems like a lot of unfounded fear and 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 uncertainty and doom um, for a new technology which ultimately doesn't actually hampen their ability to do monitoring. They'll still know all the IP addresses you go to. Yes, that's going to add a little bit of complexity because IP addresses might not map perfectly to URLs, but it still gives them a good idea of what services you're using. And it means we can finally get away from all this dangerous kind of unencrypted DNS, which can be manipulated, spied upon. And again, you know, as you're network hopping, you're just sharing this information out to each and every different, you know, internet router and ISP you go to. Different hotels can take that data. They know what room you're in. They know you connected to the Wi-Fi. You logged in as that. They now know all the websites you're going on. They can build these profiles on you. It's it's in this modern day where privacy is becoming more and more important because abuse is becoming more and more prevalent. DNS over HTTPS is just a natural evolution. So it, it's nice to see it. And I think I, I, I'm really glad to see Mozilla trying to point out that those that are lobbying to try and stop this might have some ulterior motives. So what is it the Mozilla is asking from Congress? I guess they're just trying to ask, please don't just listen to the lobbyists because they're saying this is bad. Mm. Understand that actually there's some misinformation going around and this should be reviewed with just a little bit of sensibility because ultimately it's not the end of everything. It's not going to stop surveillance. It's going to allow them to do what they need to do, but it's just letting people get on with their lives in a slightly more secure way. Um, so yeah, I, I 
we'll see what comes of this. Yeah, I, time will tell. This is going to stay another hot topic. I know a lot of IT admins are getting irate about it because DNS over HTTPS stops admins and companies from seeing the traffic of their users yeah. where they need to surveil in their own offices. So it does cause some problems. Of course, this just seems a tech problem. You know, we've got tech that lets you do all this inspection from the endpoint and you don't have to do it on the wire. So it's totally achievable if you need to achieve it and you want to go and deploy this technologies. It just seems a lot of people have old school mentality. They want to secure things and monitor things in the old way. And people are resistant to a bit of change, I guess. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. So it's now me. Um, and I have a question because Mark's not here, so I may as well start mine with a question. Um, do you guys use Airbnb? Yeah, I have used it. I did. It was weird. Oh, really? Well, Talk I, to me, Greg. <laughs> talk to you, Anna. <laughs> I just found it really weird. Um, I, I effectively turn up at some guy's house. I, I, sorry, it's his apartment. He lets me in. It's clearly just his apartment. Like, his stuff's everywhere. He goes into his drawer, gets some clothes out, put his bag, and he's like, cool, uh, enjoy, there's tea and coffee there, and walks out. And it's like, did I just kick someone out of their apartment? Mm. just felt a bit weird. It Where just, was he going? I don't know, right? <laughs> like, was he just going to go sleep rough? Is he renting a cheaper <laughs> Airbnb <laughs> down the road? It's just all Airbnbs all the way down. <laughs> there's always the locked cupboard as well. You're like, what's in the locked cupboard? I know, why do I want to get in there so bad? Yeah. It's where um, all the good tears. Oh. And the crumpets. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want a good crumpet? You can probably buy them from the shop, though. I love all the Americans just questioning, what on earth is a crumpet? Google it. <laughs> Google it, it's delicious. Uh, Peter, have you ever had a bad experience? No, I've used it, oh, I don't know how many times, probably only about half a dozen. But yep. no, I've turned up, there's been a little locked box where I get the key from. Mm. And it's been good, Sends some really nice places. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think it does allow you to have more of an authentic experience than yeah. some of it, like staying in a hotel. Um, so we've written about Air, Airbnb quite a few times on uh, Naked Security, unsurprisingly. Uh, there was the... Um, we've written about hidden cameras a lot. One uh, uh, Chinese Airbnb user, Yun Fei, found one lurking inside a router in a property she was staying at in eastern China. Um, uh, we've had them in smoke alarms, I think. I mean, it's sort of... It's a common story for us. I don't think it's common across Airbnbs um, necessarily. Who knows? Anyway, our writer Lisa Vass has stayed in an Airbnb that had no bin, no kitchen light, no running water, but a lot of broken beer bottles on the balcony and filthy sheets on an unmade bed. Disgusting. She in my student apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Do they have sticky floors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in my student apartment. (laughs) The worst I've had is a um, an apartment in Dusseldorf that had a back door that just wouldn't shut us. It wouldn't lock and it wouldn't shut as soon as we opened it. And we called the host and he just said, put a table in front of it. Like, he said, no, 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 it's just ventilation. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he said, no one's going to get in. It's a first floor apartment. And I thought, mm. um, So then there are the scammy Airbnbs. So there's the writer Ali Conti writing for Motherboard uh, was stayed in an apartment in Chicago or and when she was waiting for a check-in at her Airbnb, she got a call from the host and he said that the unit had flooded so he would find her somewhere else. Um, he sent her some photos of this um, apartment or house and she said the place looked okay so she agreed to stay there. But she did ask him to put in writing what they had agreed and um, then she accepted a change in the listing through the Airbnb's messaging app. So you've got a person, really unfortunate event, place yep. has been flooded, going out Terrible. of his way to find her a new place. Exactly. What a nice right. Sounds great. Nice yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she got an Uber to this new place, but the uh, address wasn't an at- the, the They couldn't find it from the address, but they did sort of end up stumbling across this place. Um, and uh, it didn't exactly match up to what she wanted. 
she stayed one night and then the host texts her the next day saying that the plumbing issue wasn't fixed but that there were new tenants moving into the place that she was staying at, at the moment uh, so she had to book a hotel and move down so she's, obviously she complained to Airbnb but she only got a third of the price back so she's a writer she's a journalist that's not going to stop her she's she's sniffing out a story so she thought mm, this isn't okay she did a reverse image search on the profile picture of these people and found the image on a surfing themed wallpaper website <laughs> <laughs> i think it was like a beach yeah it was like a okay. beach someone looking out across a beach um and so she looked at the reviews she tracked other people down and found lots of other people that had the same experience well, so these other people, what were like, even down to the whole plumbing kind of scenario? Was yes, there were plumbing. There was there were other issues, but sort of the same, very similar <laughs> okay. story. She ended up down a little rabbit hole and unearthed what looked like an operation that ran five accounts, hosting ninety four properties in eight cities. So what it looked like they were doing is that they were they had taken lots of photos of these different apartments, but they were all at different angles. And it was quite clear if you looked at the, all the photos of the different apartments, it was the same apartment, <laughs> and it was a very beautiful apartment, but. Clearly, one apartment, not, not the one you get to, properties, and not the cities. one you get to stay in and either. The that's the one in. that got flooded, in theory. Then, yeah, yes, that's okay. the one that got flooded. So she complained to Airbnb, but she didn't hear back, or she hadn't at the time of mm. writing. And the Airbnb, um, FBI, the FBI is investigating. Um, of course, this isn't the only scam. The Better Business Bureau say that they've had 200 complaints through its scam tracker in the last three years, and half were about fake profiles, um, which actually 200. I mean, it doesn't seem that much. Yeah, we, we discussed this before the podcast, yeah. actually, because it, it does seem dangerously low. But then again, you know, we were talking about how many of us, like, if you got ransomware on a computer or you got a scam email, do you contact the law enforcement? Do you yeah. even know yeah. which one you're meant to contact? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've never, what were they called again? I've never the heard of it. That's a business bureau. I've not heard of it. I mean, I know this is probably US related, but yep. still, I've still not heard of that. And I'm, thought I was relatively well informed on these kind of matters. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's weird. we've got action fraud in the UK, yeah, exactly. haven't we? But yeah, it's, most people have no idea who they are either. So no, and you wouldn't, you just want to sort the situation out you, and yeah. you're on a holiday. You just want your money. I mean, that's yeah. what you're after. So you're more likely to go to your bank than you are yeah, you to want, go to law enforcement. Immediately you're looking for a place to yeah, sleep. You just want, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just want to put your suitcase down. Um, obviously fake profiles doesn't necessarily translate to a bad customer experience. I mean, in the, I mean, that was a bad customer experience in that he wouldn't let me lock the door. But um, the the place I stayed at in Dusseldorf, he wouldn't. He said we weren't allowed to tell anyone in the um, neighbouring apartments that it was an Airbnb because presumably he didn't want he didn't want to get caught for subletting. Um, but in general, apart from the door issue, the, the place was very nice. It was very clean. Yeah, it was nice to be able to stay in an actual apartment rather than you know. I like the self catering aspect mm. of Airbnb. And it's big business. On any night, two million people stay in Airbnbs in 100,000 cities across the world. That's a little fact for you there. Wow. Wow. Great yeah. marketing. Thanks for doing that for them. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, no Airbnb. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, so obviously this hasn't been great press for Airbnb. Um, Motherboard's a big site. So a week after the story was published on Vice, Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky pledged that by the 15th of December 2020, every home and host would be verified. Sounds good. 2020? Yes, so it's going to take so, them a year. They're going to start on the 15th of December 2019. It's going to start them, take them a year. And what Merry are they Christmas. doing exactly? We don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not clear. That yeah. wasn't clear. And that, and that sounds like that's that's a huge manpower thing. They've got to throw human beings at that. Well, so they've yeah, got to so, train them on how to vet them. Someone's I mean, got a great year of holiday visiting all of yeah. the places. Well, that's how, so, that's how traditional uh, holiday listing places yeah. would do it. But yeah. how would they vet this? I mean, I don't know. It's 6 million listings yeah. in 191 countries. And around 650,000 hosts. I mean, that's a lot of work. 650,000 hosts. You've also got all the new ones they will get 
within yes, that exactly. year as well. I know, I know. So uh, he's also announced the Airbnb guest guarantee. So if someone checks in and, and the apartment or, or house or whatever doesn't meet their accuracy standards, in quotes, Airbnb will put you somewhere just as nice or give you 100% back. I'm not exactly sure of the accuracy standards. And I'm trying to, yeah, I'm just trying to understand that. So the scammer puts you into a, another place. Mm-hmm. They've already got their money. Yeah. Airbnb has this quality guarantee, whatever you call it. And if it means that you have been scammed, they will refund you. But where do they get that money yeah. from? Do they take it back from the original scammer? Because if they're not, they're really just covering the costs of this scam themselves, which they will then yes. pass on the costs as but well. They're not fixing the scam. They're, they're not just, actually fixing mm. the scam. Well, I guess because now they're going to verify every single house. There won't oh, yes, be any that'll fix it, yeah. It well, I mean, this this scam smells of, of, of the fact that this is an abusive uh, Airbnb's policy, right? So, Because yeah. um, it's that it's that 10 minutes before you're about to go into one of uh, your you know Airbnb apartments or whatever you've just rented and literally 10 minutes before maybe you've just come in off a flight it's like 10 o'clock at night you got your bags 10 minutes before oh really sorry we can't check you in there's been a, a flood so we've got this other thing for you I mean what are you meant to do in that instance if you're going to like a big popular city like London like it might not even be possible to get a last minute hotel room uh, especially for an affordable price yeah and so you go and stay in that bad place and it, okay you deal with it for that night but then the next morning you're like well look this is not the apartment I want to rent. This is a horrible place. But you've already stayed there. You've already stayed there and yeah. you don't want to then give a bad review necessarily yeah. because you're working off the host giving you want the host to give you a good review because then if you want to stay somewhere else, you don't want to have a bad review on your yeah. profile. So, so it, yeah, it's it sounds like the scam is effectively just gaming the Airbnb system. This is yeah. a flaw in in their entire business kind of architecture, right? Yeah. Like the way they do this. It, because yeah, it, you've uh, you've agreed to stay in this apartment uh and it, that's it. That you've, mm. you, I guess, you can't get your money back because, you, well, if you wanted your money back, you shouldn't have accepted the alternative. You, you know, well, you accepted it. Well, we don't it. know exactly about how the guest guarantee works. So, yeah. if you check in and it doesn't meet your accuracy standards, they'll give you money back. I don't know if that means if you've stayed there one night. Um, so, does that make you feel better about staying in Airbnb, or do you think it's just PR fluff? Uh, I mean, the fact that they said they're going to vet it. I mean, I. The fact that, okay, so because there's a whole year of effort, that certainly at least seems like they've got some idea how they're going to do it. Mm. But as always, I think the lack of transparency here on how they're going to vet things is, is that's the the proof will be in the pudding, right? It's until we see how they vet all these 650,000 Yeah, 650,000 hosts. Hosts. Six million listings. I think it's definitely got to vet yeah. both. So until we know how they're going to do that, it does certainly mm. sound just like a nice bit of PR. It definitely makes me rethink the concept of Airbnb. I mean, when you go and book a hotel, mm. you you know you may turn up and, oh, there's actually some construction work they didn't mention. But this the, may not even exist. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's no one that's physically vetted these places. Yeah. So. I mean, I so I only used Airbnb a couple of times, um, but I did use it extensively while traveling out in sort of, uh, uh, sort of Eastern Asia. And in those moments, I you know, strange place in the middle of nowhere where you've gone based on an internet posting. I mean, is the it is kind of it is kind of terrifying. I mean, yeah. you can be in some very vulnerable situations, and it feels like this is possibly how they're abusing that. Yeah. I mean, I know Chicago is a bit more of a it's a not a first world city, but I'm sure these kind of scams could be taking place all over the world. Yeah. And there's certain areas where you're in such a vulnerable position, you just want to get indoors. You don't yeah. want to be outside. It could be late at night. So yeah, I I, I have no idea how they're going to achieve this. No. Yeah. This is, I think, but you're right. This is a 
this seems just a flaw in this. It's like, you know, Airbnb is a hotel chain that owns no hotels. Mm. Uber's a car company, you know, a taxi company that doesn't own any taxis. It's this, they're shrugging off that responsibility and putting it onto other people. And uh, the customers just have to pay the price. Yeah. Mm. I got picked up by an Uber driver when I called a taxi company last weekend and they had no license plate and they said they're just doing a bit of a sub taxiing, which is a bit dodgy. What? I know. <laughs> that does sound super dodgy. Yeah. Hi, I'm your Uber. Get in. You I didn't order an Uber. Uber, but I'm your Uber. Get in my Uber. Do you know how I, I didn't knew, ask for Uber. Do you know Uber. how I knew he was an Uber driver? Because he was very, very nice. Oh, really? And that's how you know that they're Uber drivers. They have to be really nice to you. So I they thought it's the Prius. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that too. Okay, so to finish on some tips, because you know how I like to finish on a tip. Um, Airbnb say, make sure you take a long, hard look at the listing. I like staying at Airbnbs, but I am always really really careful obviously i who knows what's going to happen to the next time you just like raiding people's cupboards don't you (laughs) i just like having a nose yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so always read the host's profile and listing description thoroughly and pay special attention to the amenities the house rules and the cancellation policy cancellation policy is a good one Mm, yeah yeah totally agree read the reviews so i'm very thorough at reviews and i would never get one that doesn't have more than say at least 10 reviews obviously we know reviews can be gamed but if you read them thoroughly, you can get a sense of whether someone's staying mm. there. Um, so it's the Airbnb says, look through feedback from past guests to help find the right fit for you. You'll find ratings on several quality dimensions like cleanliness and accuracy and detailed reviews with authentic feedback. Guests can only leave a review after they've stayed with that specific host. So you know the feedback you're reading is based on someone having stayed there. I'd argue... Well, they didn't that stay there, right? Be yeah, fakes, that's the problem yeah. with some of these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just get your mate to do it. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. So you can, uh, it, before you've booked and after you've booked, you can contact the host and ask them anything you're worried about. And um, you can always quiz them a bit on the place that you're staying at. Keep all communications and payments on the Airbnb site. This is a big one. I mean, it's the same with many sites like this. Um, they redact phone numbers, email addresses, and URLs. Um, obviously, they can. F- Scammers can find ways around it, but um, it's don't let if someone tries to move you off Airbnb, just mm. don't let them. Mm. Um, and as always, be wary of messages that look like they're from Airbnb. So anything you get in your email, always be careful. Um, if someone's trying to contact you from Airbnb, they'll do it through Airbnb. Can so you so- stay safe out there, guys? Can you sort by like the worst reviews, like you can on like Amazon and so on? Because if you can, that'd be great. I honestly, if anyone hasn't, if anyone's listening, if you ever are bored, just go and find any website that has reviews and always sort by the worst oh, ones. Oh, I love They're that on entertaining. Amazon. On Amazon, Amazing. it's so good. Like yeah. people really angry at the four pound pair of slippers because yeah. somehow they didn't survive the walk through the Andes that they took them on, you know. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's fab. So, you know, there, there's my other tip. Greg tips. <laughs> Useless, but fun. Have you looked, um, it's not really related, but if you looked at North Korea on Google Maps, if you Ooh. zoom in and go to like whichever cities and... You look at the reviews people have put in for the parks and stuff like that, and <laughs> oh. it's all just people messing about going, yeah, it really is a park. They weren't lying about this one. I know my afternoon, sorted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, over to you. Last week, Sophos Labs released its 2020 threat report, looking at the state of threats this year and next. Can you talk us through the report? Yes, so I'm not going to go into detail, so it's a 30-page report, so if you do want to have a read, just search Sophos Threat Report and you'll find it. Sophos.com slash threat report, I think. Or that as well, yeah. Sophos.com forward slash threat report. There you go. Um, So, I mean, we're talking about 
our predictions for the future. Um, so we've got, obviously, ransomware is still a massive thing. We don't predict that it's going anywhere. It's just going to get worse. We've got more and more people moving to the cloud, larger and larger amounts of data, you know, plenty of targets there. Uh, so, I mean, we're wondering, are there going to be any changes in how ransomware sort of locks you out of your data? Because one of the biggest hurdles for ransomware is how long it actually takes to encrypt data. That's mm -hmm. the slowest part of the attack. Right, okay. So... Will there be some change? Will we discover some new encryption technique, quantum computing, ransomware, something like that? I could tell you what the, the best technique would be. Just go inside everyone's spreadsheets and just change all the numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you imagine? Yeah. <gasps> that scares me. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we've got MSPs getting targeted even more. And, of course, you could even have the people that make the software that the MSPs use being targeted, mm. taking it one layer further up as well. Uh, and, of course, we've seen attackers getting caught more as well, tracking the Bitcoin payments, things like that. So maybe they will move away from Bitcoin to more anonymous revenue sources like Monero or the other digital currencies out mm -hmm. there. And we've done a bit of research into the mobile malware. So mobile malware is kind of... I don't think people take it as seriously, in my opinion. They don't take it seriously no, as normal crazy. Like yeah. stuff on a Windows computer, for example. Um, but we found that there's more and more malicious apps getting, sneaking their way into the Apple Store, the Play Store, you know, getting past the scanners these companies use to try and identify this stuff. And then we've got the discovery of what we call fleeceware, where the idea is you make a legitimate app, you know, it does some menial task, like convert a video to an animated GIF or GIF, I forget which one I meant to say and, um, you know It's a you, GIF because it's done in a Jiffy, but because everyone's humans, we call it GIFs, because yeah. fine, screw calling it Done so, in a Jiffy? That's why it's called a GIF because it was done in a, you know, it's done in a Jiffy even though they're like 10, 20 meg in size Also, it's not done in a Jiffy, is that not Eng very English? I mean graphics interchange format is also in English a lot of tech is in English. No, but I mean, as in... <laughs> anyway. English, derailed, as in derailed, UK English. Dedicate a whole British. podcast to that whole discussion. But anyway, um, so the idea, you know, you have an app that does something and you give it away free with the sort of requirement that you fill in your credit card details because if you choose to keep the app, uh, app, there is a subscription. And, of course, everyone does the same thing as I would normally do is you go, well, I'll install it, I'll do it what I need to do, and then I'm going to uninstall it. Mm. Simple. But uninstalling it doesn't actually fix the problem. You also have to tell the vendor that you are not wanting to use the subscription. And if you don't, then they start charging you for it. And we've seen what is clearly a scam or, a, you know, a con where they've been charging $200 a month mm. for something that makes animated gift gifs. Mm. Um, gift gifs. That's it. We <laughs> so, solved it. Yeah. We solved it. It's gift gifs. So we've seen loads of these apps. They just do all these menial tasks mm. and charge hundreds of dollars a month if you forget. And that's after you've uninstalled them as well. So, Well, as I said on a previous podcast, I, got, uh, I tried to download a scanner app and it was going to charge me $47 pounds for if i didn't like a qr if I didn't cancel. Yeah. no um like a document scanner oh okay if i didn't if i didn't cancel within three days yeah i remember this yeah. i didn't say at the time when you were describing it but when you said you downloaded a scanner app i just imagined you know like when a scanner rubs across the page like <laughs> me like somehow it should be like it's a, a bit me, old school and how then old I, do you go 85 uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> old enough yeah and then, yeah. then one other bit of mobile malware we saw was the one called anubis banking malware so um Basically, banking malware on a phone is typically 
it's an app that gets installed and it monitors your legitimate banking apps. So when you're logging into your bank via the app, it's recording your keystrokes and stuff mm. like that and sending it off. And one unique feature about Anubis is instead of having like a hard-coded C2 address, you know, the server it sends all your information, what it would do is connect to certain social media accounts, certain Twitter accounts, mm. and get this like string of Japanese, or Chinese, I forget which one, Chinese text that as far as most people are concerned is gibberish. Yep. Actually, it's an encoded string. They decode it in the app and they get the C2 address. So it's another way of evading te- uh, detection. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this so like where sneaky. attackers have used things like Pastebin to control yeah. their bot, uh, botnets and so on. And of course, for any admin, you just can't see the traffic. It's just standard web traffic to pretty average, normal-looking websites. It's yeah. clever and very hard to stop. Yeah. Uh, then we talk about the, the internet's background radiation, just the sheer amount of noise on the internet. And, for example, the RDP research we did where you stick a machine online with RDP access and in, was it, a minute and 16 seconds or whatever, mm-hmm. someone's trying to brute force it. And we looked into some other things like exposed databases. It was even quicker. So just putting a machine online, you're suddenly getting port scanning, vulnerability scanning, brute forcing. Yeah, It's just so many attackers out there doing this kind of stuff on mass automated scale now. Mm. And we've got cloud infrastructure, so obviously more and more people move into the cloud, as I said. Uh, And over the last year, I mean, anyone want to... I have no idea what the number is, how many giant data breaches there have been this year. A Too many. Exposed. Well, one is too many. Exactly. Yeah, exposed databases, um, which normally come down to the fact that it's just a misconfiguration from yeah. one of the admins. Yeah. So, something super simple is like an S3 bucket would just, instead of set to write only, they've got read and write. Yeah. Mm. Simple and permission. And we error. can expect more and more of that. I mean, one of the benefits of cloud is, of course, that you can scale it up at an instant to your needs, but how do you ensure your security is scaling mm. up with it? Mm. It's very difficult. Uh, an example of some of the cloud sort of attacks we've seen is a malware called MageCart. And what it basically does is it infects a web server and injects malicious JavaScript code into the websites that that server is is hosting. And what that means is you go in through your the payment system for that website and right at the end, when you're putting in your payment details, they've injected this JavaScript code that will also steal mm. your details and send <laughs> oh. it off. And this was discovered oh, yeah. about a year ago or so now. Um, but they expect they, sorry, they um, they think probably. I mean, nine hundred and sixty companies is the number I've seen quoted. It's probably higher than that now, with millions of users being affected. Mm. Some of the companies include uh, Ticketmaster, Catholic, Cathay. I can't say that. Ticketmaster, Cathay Pacific Airways, and British Airways, to name very much a few. So it's another big infrastructure. So the thing about cloud, we always have to remind people, it is the provider's job to secure the cloud. It is your job to secure the data in it. So, mm. And then we sort of end off with a bit more of a um, prediction into the future, sort of 10 years into the future. So we know about machine learning. Machine learning is this great new technology, really scalable for detecting new threats. And clearly the attacker's are beginning to realise how good it can be because we've started seeing them trying to get round machine learning. Uh, One technique uh, called string stuffing, where basically, I mean, the concept of machine learning is you have a file, you compare that file to a billion bad files and a billion good files, and you do a mathematical equation to say, look, which which one is it closer to? Is it 80% closer to bad? Is it 
you know, 10% mm. closer to good, that kind of thing, you're getting this score. So what people have realised they can do, if done, you know, in a certain way, they can take their bad file, stuff it with a load of good code, mm. and reduce that score at the oh, end. Wow. And, I mean, you can tell anything is a serious threat to attackers when they do an evasion contest for machine learning at DEFCON. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's that's happened this year big, as well. Big time. Made it um, big time. So yeah, if we start to see offensive machine learning at the moment, we start going to see more of that in the future. So for example, if you talk about spam emails, someone writes those spam emails. Well, there's already machine learning out there that can generate news articles, generate fake news, all this mm. kind of stuff. So think of the massive increase in spam that we could see when machines are actually generating those spam emails yep. and tweaking them and you know pumping them out on an industrial scale like never before and then of course you can have machine learning that does phone calls mm. so you can have the vishing scams where they call you up and actually you're speaking to a machine learning or an ai basically conning you out of money and of course have you heard of deep fake videos yeah, yeah? Oh yeah where basically they if you let's say get i don't know I'm picking a name up. President Clinton, ex-President Clinton. Well, they did Obama, I think. Yeah, I think they did yeah. Obama, didn't they? So they, you get, like, every bit of footage online about someone. And then from all of those those different angles, you can basically generate a 3D model, mm. and then you speak, and that model speaks for you. So instead of having an email from your CFO saying, hey, we've got to make this $2 million payment, $2 million payment to this new account immediately, must get done today, you might receive a video from your CFO saying we've got to do this, making it even more realistic. It's <laughs> yeah. funny. Shameless self doomed. <laughs> I, I wrote a paper for Sophos News, uh, I'm sorry, a blog article, I wouldn't call it a paper, um, called The Security of Machine Learning. I, this is an area I, I'm thoroughly fascinated by because um, machine learning is often passed off as this panacea, right? That it just somehow stops all threats. You know, uh, there's uh, certain companies that talk about how AV is dead and machine learning is the future. And it, it, it actually, <laughs> they kind of ignore a, a sad fact of machine learning, which is that there is an unsolved problem. Um, it's known as adver uh, adversarial examples. So let's take, um, take the idea of computer vision in a car, right? That's a self-driving autonomous car using computer vision to see the world around it. Um, so what you can do is you can train a neural network to try and attack another neural network. And the idea is that you keep generating examples and mutate them until, you know, that whatever you're attacking misidentifies something. And so what this results in is there's these things, uh, active, sorry, these adversarial examples, like a sticker, right? If I don't want to have facial recognition, I could wear a t-shirt with a symbol on it that a neural network has generated and found thwarts facial recognition algorithms, and bam, I'm invisible to facial recognition. Or the most terrifying one, Back to the autonomous car is a sticker that you can put on a stop sign, and now that computer sees a stop sign, but it doesn't. It, it, it that sticker has tricked its neural network into thinking that that stop sign is not a stop sign, oh, and wow. it, away it goes. And this is an unsolved problem in computer science. Like this isn't this isn't just a bunch of oh no, machine learning is amazing. There's a fundamental problem that machine learning is is very good at classifying things, and it, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to classify things. It's not trained and designed to classify things that are it's trying to trick it into misclassifying like as in it's not designed to find things to that that are trying to trick it it's trying to just classify stuff so 
it just suffers from a real problem. This is why we still put traditional AV on an endpoint with machine learning is because you kind of need the two. In many cases, you need traditional AV to protect your ML from being attacked like this. Mm. I remember one example, and I apologize, I can't remember the person I did this research, but they took a load of pictures of normal things. So the, the main one I remember was a yellow school bus driving yeah. down a road. Machine learning goes, that's a yellow school bus. We've seen a million pictures like that before. We can clearly identify this as a yellow school bus. You then sort of cut that bus out and stick it on its side and goes, oh, that's a banana. Oh, you rotate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's not used to seeing a school bus at that angle. Mm. So it goes, well, it can't be a school bus. It's clearly a banana. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, it's it, it's one of those things that, like, it, machine learning, it can seem like absolute magic, but it's in very, in, in many cases, it's incredibly simple. And so, to be attacked, like you said, you could attack a machine learning algorithm that's designed to de like detect like cars and stuff by just rotating it. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, I could trick machine learning by just putting the car, the wheels on my car, like attach them on the roof at an angle that makes it look like my car's upside down. I think we should carry out by saying we are not the scientists behind machine learning, and I can I can almost hear the Sophos science data scientist <laughs> going, "No, that's not how it works." Well, Josh, but our chief data scientist, is is actually the one who educates me on this, that this about this unsolved problem. Mm -hmm. So it is. I think this is the important of machine learning is incredible, right? And we need to mm. take, and it, and, yes. it, and it does do amazing things, but you can't just solely rely on it. it is. It's the same way, like, you can't, all uh, all eggs in one basket, right? It's yeah. a, you know, layered, got security. A, layered, layered security. Layered security. No defenses. silver bullets. Exactly. And, then, and it's the same fact as always. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thanks, Pete. That was really thanks, cool. Thanks, Peter, yeah. <laughs> I need to read that report now. I really should. <laughs> you should. Yes, everyone. Sophos.com slash threat report. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so where can we find you on social media, Peter? Uh, at Altshift Print Screen. On Twitter. On Twitter, sorry. Greg? Uh, at Secbug on Twitter. You can also find me on Reddit as Secbug as well if you want to uh, drop by the Sophos subreddit. I am one of the mods there. Um, slowly getting there. Um, we don't have a lot of presence on Reddit yet. It's not been something we've invested in, so come hang out. Come hang out the Naked Security one yeah. if you want come to Come get spark. some upboats. Upboats? Yeah. Is that like Narwhal's bacon at, at midnight. I'm just saying Reddit things. The Redditors get this, Anna. <laughs> this is this is not your forte, I can see. Give me a when give does me the an narwhal Instagram bacon, in joking. When does the narwhal, narwhal bacon, Anna? Yeah. The narwhal bacon's at midnight. <sighs> oh, dear. I'm just not cool enough. Um, I'm well, at, sad enough. <laughs> Sorry. Cool enough. I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter, and we are, of course, at Naked Security on Twitter, Instagram, and... YouTube. We've <gasps> yes. got a new fancy YouTube channel, which has me and Duck hosting, saying hello with our little video. So it's very exciting. Make sure you check it out if you haven't. You can find us on Facebook by searching Naked Security, obviously, where we do weekly Facebook Live videos chatting about the latest security topics. If you like our podcast, please rate and review it. We still need more reviews. Peter and Greg, have you done a review? <laughs> As a self-review. You wouldn't do that, would you? That guy, Greg, is amazing. He should be on every episode. I've certainly done one for myself. No, I haven't. My That's wife, a joke. My wife has said she prefers hearing me on the podcast than in real life now. She says, if I could just speak to her through the podcast and not drivel Aww. about security the rest of the week, she'd really appreciate that. We like Claire. <laughs> we like Claire. She also prefers the animated version of me oh, to the real yeah. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> You can tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions or tips for the podcast, and you can email us at tips at suffers.com. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.